May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And I want to draw your attention to that passage that we read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you might want to just pull out the bulletin and keep that before you. I will come back at the end. I plan to come back to... Um, to connect us to the gospel reading. But this is an important passage for anyone involved in Christian ministry. Paul teaches us here the, the character of Christian ministry. And he's, he's talking about his apostolic ministry. When he says we, he's talking about the apostles, the apostolic ministry. But this certainly applies. The principles that are in this passage applies to anybody involved in Christian ministry. It certainly applies to people like me, uh, uh, priests and, and deacons in the church. Anybody serving in any capacity in the church, uh, these principles are, are important for us to think about, to take on board. It's important for congregations to hold their clergy accountable to what Paul is going to say here. This is, I think, a foundational passage for Christian ministry. And all of us as Christians are to be involved in ministry, whether you wear a collar or not, whether you have an ordained office or not. We're all called to be ministers, and that is to serve others for the sake of Christ. I mean, that's sort of the basic definition of what it be, means to be a minister. And so all of us, wherever God has placed us, are called to do that. And to influence others for Christ. And to want to see people come to Christ. Whether that's our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends. People in our workplace. We're all, as Christians, called to be ministers. And so I think these principles apply to, to all of us. And I believe that verse 5 is a key statement here. This, is, this could be a, a definition of of. Christian ministry. When he says in verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. A Christian minister is somebody who is proclaiming Christ, not themselves, proclaiming Christ, serving others for the sake of Christ. A proclaimer of Christ, a servant of others for the sake of Christ. So I think that's a good definition, and I think that's an overarching theme in, in this chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's not about us, it's about Christ. It's about serving others for the sake of Christ. And I think it's also helpful, I find it encouraging, that Paul says at the beginning of this chapter, we do not lose heart. Because as you embark on this ministry, seeking to serve others, to proclaim Christ for the sake of Christ, it's tempting to lose heart. There are all sorts of reasons why you might be tempted to give up and to lose heart. And we think about it in terms of the broader culture, some of the trends that are happening. This is a different uh, in a difficult context for ministry than what it was 50 or so years ago. People who trace church attendance have shown that church attendance is declining overall here in America. 
not as bad as in Western Europe and some of those countries, not nearly as bad, but still it's on the decline. There's an indifference to the Christian faith. And some people wonder what, it doesn't really matter what I believe and why should I even bother with Christianity? There's a hostility. There's an increasing hostility to Orthodox Christian teaching. And I don't think I need to give any examples. I think we're all aware of how that plays out in our culture. So it can be easy to lose heart in ministry. There's a consumerism in American Christian circles that can be difficult for smaller churches to be in that sort of environment. I had one time when I was a pastor at the, at the, at the, at the previous church, there was a couple that was going to church, uh, had been coming to church for some time. And then they, they left and, and uh, he explained to me that one of the reasons why he left was, and I'll never forget the phrase he used, your church doesn't have the added value that I'm looking for. The added value. That's a business term. And all things being equal, there needs to be something else, you know. And uh, so we're attracted to the churches that have the added value. And uh, the better programs, the better facilities, the coffee bar, you know, in the foyer. And so um, it's hard for smaller churches to compete with something like that. So we have this consumerism. We have... uh, Indifference. We have hostility and our own frustrations in trying to win people to Christ and maybe people that we, we, we've been praying for for years and we're not seeing progress. And so it's easy for us to, to do exactly what uh, Paul is, is warning against here. Not, not, it's easy for us to lose heart. He says we don't do that. We don't lose heart. And then he, he outlines a path of ministry that we need to keep on because these frustrations can get us off the path. But he outlines the, the, the characteristics of gospel ministry. It's very important for us. And it's been important for me to just kind of take this on this week and think about it and how it applies to our ministry here at Church of the Resurrection and in our everyday lives. So uh, the first characteristic of this gospel ministry is that it's, par- it's characterized by proclamation. It's characterized by proclamation. He says in verse two, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Proclamation of the truth in an open, straightforward and clear way. And he says, we, we are refusing to tamper with God's word. And that verb that's being used there means to dilute something, to dilute wine. That's how it was often used. To, to talk about diluting wine, mixing it with water so it lasts longer. But lowering the quality. Mixing water and wine. And Paul says, we're not going to water down the word of God. And we're not going to mix something that's not the word of God. With the word of God, we're not going to dilute it. We're not going to mix it. We're going to um, give a clear statement of the truth of who Jesus is, and we're going to leave that to people's conscience. So the first characteristic I see here is open, clear proclamation of the truth of who Jesus is and not mixing it and not backing away from that in the context of love, of course, serving others out of love. I think, you know, in most things in life, we really value clarity, don't we? Clear communication. 
straightforwardness, honesty. I came across some examples of unclear communication. This was written by a writing instructor. And he, he, so he gave examples of unclear communication and then he translated it. And this was kind of fun. Let's listen to this. He says, um, one, one company wrote this. Our company produces social expression products. And uh, his translation, Hallmark makes greeting cards. <laughs> Here's another one. Your son shows optimal positive emotive response to peer interaction during non-classroom recreational agenda time periods. Huh? Translation, your child enjoys playing with other children during recess. <laughs> My favorite was the one coming from the Pentagon. The expenditure of $35 was initiated for 100 wood interdental stimulators. Translation, the Pentagon paid $35 for 100 toothpicks. <laughs> no, that's, that's an example of unclarity. Opaqueness, I guess you could say. But clarity is something we value and it's something we need. And the author of that blog, he pointed this out. He said, you know, ambiguous speech, muddled speech is not always a reflection of muddled thinking. Now, oftentimes it is. But sometimes it's people are hiding the truth. They don't want to give it to you straight. And that can happen in gospel ministry. And people can hold back from sharing the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel the moral demands, the moral response, the ethical life that's lived in response to this. Why? Why does that happen? Well, um, Paul warns about this in 2 Timothy to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, this is verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves Teachers to suit their own passions. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear things that endorse their viewpoint and their lifestyle. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Myths <laughs> and mist. <laughs> As for you, Timothy, always be sober minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry by proclaiming the truth of Christ in a clear, open manner and leave it to their conscience before God. And so this is, this is a priority. This is a characteristic of gospel ministry. Now, what that means is that not everybody's going to be happy to hear what you have to say. Not everybody's going to be thrilled with that kind of proclamation that sharing that takes place and not everybody will receive the message or the messenger. And so here's another characteristic of gospel ministry that we see in the life of Paul, and that is rejection. <laughs> that is facing rejection and dealing with rejection. And so Paul says, he explains why this happens. He says in verse, well, let's start in verse three. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So there's this veil in the minds of unbelievers that prevents them to see, from seeing what he's about to say here, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
when we begin to proclaim Christ, we're stepping onto a battlefield. And there's this battle between light and darkness, between God and the enemy of God. Satan, the devil, the God of this world, he calls Satan here, who has blinded the minds. He's put this veil up so they cannot see what we see. And that veil has to be removed by God and God alone. But that's why people reject the message. And Paul in, in Corinthians, I mean, when he started this ministry in Corinthians, when he started this church in Corinthians in Acts 18, you can read about it. He was there for 18 months. He started evangelizing in the city of Corinth. He started with the synagogue. That was his tactic. He started with the synagogue, with his fellow Jews. And many of them reviled him, it says, and despised him and rejected the message. Now, some, the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, he came over with the Apostle Paul. So some did convert. So some did see the glory of Christ, the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ. But many rejected And so he said, now I'm going to turn. I'm going to minister to the Gentiles. So Paul faced this rejection all the time. That doesn't mean he gave up. You know, he goes on and he says in in the next chapter, we um, we persuade others. Second Corinthians 5.11, we persuade others. We're going to keep trying to persuade others. We are, he goes on and says, we are ambassadors of Christ. So we can deal with this rejection if we understand we're in a spiritual battle and God has to remove the blinders. But our it's not about us, so we'll just keep going. It's about Christ and proclaiming Christ and serving other people. So we'll just keep going. We'll just keep pursuing this call because that's what we're called to do. We're ambassadors of Christ. But it's very frustrating and sometimes heartbreaking because some people just can't see what you can see. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the goodness, the beauty, the truth. Um, and we do need to work on our, our approach. Sometimes we need to think about creatively sharing the gospel and we need to think about strategy and we need to think about doing all this in the context of love, loving relationships. But um, ultimately, it, it's going to happen. People are going to see what we see only when God removes the veil. And so that can be frustrating. That can be disappointing. That can be difficult. Haven't you had the experience where you've seen a movie and you say to your friend, come on, you've got to watch this movie. It's the best movie I've seen in years. And they watch it and they're like, nah, it's okay. What do you mean it's okay? It's great. Or a book or music. It happens to us a lot. It's very frustrating. How much more so when the most glorious thing, the most glorious person, the most glorious truth that you know is living inside of you and you want to share that with others and they say, eh, that doesn't do it for me. Indifference or hostility. But Paul faced it and we will too and we have to carry on. We have to carry on. And then there's another characteristic here of gospel ministry. And this is probably maybe the most surprising one of all. And that is that suffering and weakness often characterizes Gospel ministry. Suffering and weakness. Paul says that we have, in verse 7, we have these, this treasure in jars of clay. A jar of clay was very common in those days. Everybody had jars of clay to put stuff in. And it was a very weak, kind of ordinary thing. It could break easily. 
and um, everybody had one today. We might say we, we have this treasure in a, in a plastic container, a rubber-made container. I mean, it's just an ordinary thing you've got. Everybody has it. And Paul is comparing his life as an apostle, his ministry, to this jar of clay. And he says the reason why God has given this ministry to weak, vulnerable vessels is so that the surpassing power, it's clear that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see what he's saying here? I don't want people to think that when they see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, when they experience the salvation, I don't want them to get mixed up and think it's because of me. Because I'm just a jar of clay. I'm a weak, vulnerable vessel. And God does that so that he will get the glory when people see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, when the veil is removed. And it's clear that it's God who's doing that work. The reason why Paul is saying this, and the reason why Paul makes a big deal about his own suffering later on in this book, is because there were people who were, um, he calls them later on, super apostles. I think he's saying that sarcastically. There were these super apostles who came into Corinth and said, you can't believe that guy, Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. Right, they said. He suffers so much. He's afflicted. He's been in jail a lot of times. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. God is not blessing that man's life. So why are you listening to him? We're the super suave apostles. You know, we speak better and more eloquently than Paul does. And and uh, we serve the exalted king and we're to live like king's kids. So don't follow that guy. You know, he'll probably be in jail next couple of weeks. Why would you want to follow the apostle Paul? And Paul says, Paul just flips that on its head. He said, no, if I'm going to boast about anything, it's about my weakness. And it's, a, it's, it's about my suffering. If I'm going to highlight something on my resume, it's going to be about how I've been persecuted for Christ. I'm going to talk about how I've experienced this, but I've not been destroyed. I keep moving on. God is sustaining me. But it's not about me. It's about proclaiming Christ. And Paul's saying, I don't want anybody to get confused here that the power is somehow bound up with me, with my success. No, he highlights his suffering to make it clear it's, it's not about him. Salvation, true life, comes from, from encountering Christ, from the gospel. Man, that is such a countercultural view, isn't it? It goes against the grain, um, especially when we start off now kind of talking autobiographical here a little bit. We start off in ministry. We don't want to be a clay pot. <laughs> no, we don't. We, we want to be the... the the crystal vase, you know, the Waterford crystal vase, maybe, or the Tiffany lamp. We, we don't want to be the ordinary object in the household. We want people to see what God can do through us. And, uh, and that's pride. And that's deadly. And Paul says, no, I'm a, I'm a clay pot. And I'm not going to boast about accomplishments. Now, later on, he says, you guys drove me to this. I'm going to say a couple of things. But really, I'm coming back to my weakness. Um, we have to watch out for ministry methods that draw attention to ourselves and our techniques because people will get will start to follow the technique or or the charisma of, of certain people. 
That is not the way of the ministry of the apostles. It's not the way of Christ. I remember reading some time ago a book about a church that was that started off being kind of a seeker sensitive church, um, trying to meet people where they're at culturally. And obviously there's something to that. I haven't figured all this out, but this church was all in on cultural relevance. So they're going to do whatever it takes and change their services in whatever fashion to be culturally relevant. So people will come in and, and, and they did. They experienced growth. And then the pastors one day, it was co-pastor. There are two pastors. And they sat down. And the, the Sunday service had become quite a production. Very entertaining. Drama and loud music and lights and smoke machine. Well, maybe not smoke machine. But it was. <laughs> but some churches do that now, right? It was very dramatic and very entertaining. And the pastor sat down after church one day, exhausted from another production. And they looked at each other and said, we can do this without God. We, we know the buttons to push to get the right responses. And, um, and that was the beginning of them rethinking how they were doing ministry. And they began to retool to, to take the spotlight off themselves, to kind of tamp down this entertainment mindset. And to start talking to people about encountering the living God through Scripture, through prayer, through the sacraments, the means of grace that God has given us. And a lot of people didn't like that. They said, that's not what we signed up for. But many people stayed and began to grow. We have to, we have to watch out. We have to watch out for ministry methods that draw attention to ourselves and our techniques. So Paul says that, you know, I'm a servant of of everyone, I'm a servant of others for the sake of Christ. That involves suffering for other people. You know, he goes on and he talks about this this death that is at work in him. Um, death is at work in us, but life is in you, verse 12. And that I think we can all relate to. Anybody who's involved in wanting to influence another person for the sake of Christ, that involves sacrifice, doesn't it? That involves sacrifice of, of time. That involves sacrificial prayer. That involves acts of sacrificial love. Uh, that involves sacrifice, maybe of your willingness, to sacrifice your reputation to, to talk to them about some hard things. It's a call to death, of the death of the self. But we do that so that the life of God, they might find the life of God in their life. And so that pattern of dying to self for the sake of others that's the pattern that Paul is talking about. That is the pattern, of course, that we see in Christ, in his life and ministry. And I just want to make a connection here then um, at the end to our gospel reading. Uh, there was a commentator that helped me see this connection. And he said this, you know, Jesus says in our gospel reading, I am the Lord. He says the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And and. Jesus is wanting to get across the point to these religious leaders that the reason God gave the people the Sabbath was to sustain their life and to give them life, to renew their life. And so it's okay for him and his disciples to eat on the Sabbath from a field in order to sustain their life. The Sabbath was made for man and man's life. And they weren't breaking any Old Testament Sabbath laws in doing that. They were breaking these man-made laws 
But Jesus is saying, no, the Sabbath is given to us to for recreating life, the life of God that he's given us, refreshing us in this life. And then he goes on after this and he heals a man on the Sabbath day. He heals a man on the Sabbath day who um, I believe he had a withered, a withered hand. And now here's the point. Jesus could have said to this man that he healed on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. He said he could have said, why don't you come back tomorrow and we'll do this tomorrow? Because this is too controversial. But he made a point that this is exactly what the Sabbath is about. It's about life. It's about wholeness. This is the life of God that he's given to us. And this is what the gospel ministry is about that Paul's talking about. Giving the life of God through the proclamation of Christ to other people. And we do that in the context of sacrificial service and love. In the context of our weakness. We, we shine the light of Christ through these clay jars. You know, probably some of the most powerful testimony in your life will come as you suffer. And maybe you've seen this happening in your life as you suffer. And other people see your faith through that suffering, through that time and that season of weakness. They see a faith that sustains you. And that is a great testimony. It's often through the suffering and through the weakness that the glory of God, the goodness of God shines the most. And so may God help us to follow this path of gospel-centered ministry. Clear proclamation, clear sharing of the truth, understanding that this puts us on the battleground and some will reject it. And we need pray for blinders to be removed. But also going about it in a way that highlights the power of God, not ourselves. We're going to boast even in our weakness so that Christ might be glorified. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for these, these truths that your apostle has written for us and that have been preserved for us by your spirit. And these, these principles, these values of Christian ministry are so important in today's culture where we, we celebrate success and celebrities and we want to be awed by people. And we often miss the glory of God in the face of Christ. Help us to know that glory in a deeper way ourselves. And we pray that you would draw people through us and through this ministry to the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.